listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, this is Aileen. Welcome to episode 20 of The Music Room. I am so excited to be interviewing my good friend and former student teacher, Emily Anderson Karst, about STEM or STEAM in The Music Room. A little bit about Emily, she's a third year music teacher and 2016 graduate from Capital University. She's a recent graduate of the Accelerated Educational Administration graduate cohort and spends summers as the music program coordinator at the Columbus School for Girls. She and her husband, Ben, live in Worthington, Ohio. In her free time, she loves to get coffee with friends, try to get through her to be red stack and travel as much as possible. I really think you're going to enjoy this. She's got so much uh, good information about STEM and STEAM and coding in the music room. So here's the show. Hi, I am so excited to be sitting here with my good friend, Emily Anderson Karst. Um, She is going to be talking to us about STEM or STEAM in the music room. Hi, Emily. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Emily and I go way back. She was my student Mm -hmm. teacher. And then she was my traveler last year. So um, I'm excited to be sitting here because I'm so used to seeing her every single day. And this year I've not seen her every single day and I miss her. So it's hard. Yeah. So this year, a little bit about me. So my name's Emily. Um, This is my third year teaching. I'm teaching in the Olentangy City School District with with Aileen. My first year teaching, I was in a Reynoldsburg school here in Columbus, which was a STEM school, which is kind of how I became familiar with all of these concepts. And then the next year, I was Aileen's Traveler, which was a wonderful year, so blessed. And then this year, I'm in my own building. I'm not traveling. Um, I'm loving being at just one school. It's definitely an adjustment. Like, all of the work is very real, but I'm loving that. I just got my... um, my educational leadership master's from MSU and finished my principal's license just like yesterday. Yay! Um, so when I was in Middlesbrough, I taught a music and technology class. Um, and from there, I just kind of got hooked. Like I just love like the power that this teaching method has in engaging kids, especially upper elementary kids and in like building life skills like grit, like grit and problem solving. That's great. All right, so I have heard the acronyms STEM and STEAM being used interchangeably. My understanding is STEAM just has the arts component to it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else I'm missing? Well, STEM, those that acronym stands for science, technology, engineering, and maths, where STEAM represents STEM plus the arts, which includes a whole umbrella of things. So it's humanities, language arts, dance, drama, music, visual arts, design, and new media. So the major difference between STEM and STEAM is that STEM explicitly focuses on scientific concepts, while STEAM investigates the same concepts, but it does this through inquiry and problem-based learning methods used in the creative process. Interesting. Yeah, so STEAM is not a new concept. All of the most like well-respected inventors and innovators that we think of, people like Leonardo da Vinci, have shown us the importance of combining science and art to make discoveries. So as teachers, we want to advocate for STEAM over STEM because we care about the creative process being present in design and innovation, and we can attest to the importance of the arts in a complete and thorough education. This helps direct resources to the arts instead of away from them. Great. I love it. All right. So talk to us a little bit about the benefits of teaching within a STEAM model. The first half of a lesson looks 
like a normal, typical music lesson. That can kind of look whatever your context is. Um, but when I switch over to Steam, what I love about it is whatever project I'm doing immediately engages my learners. So for example, I teach elementary and I know probably a lot of us listening do. Um, and sometimes my upper elementary boys, my fourth and fifth grade boys, are kind of like not wanting to sing Dance Josie or whatever we're doing. So I have to get creative about ways to engage them. And with my first school, before I came to a new district, my population was a little bit tougher behaviorally. So engaging kids became crucial to my success as a teacher. Um, and doing that worked best for me when I was using STEAM or STEM-based learning. The benefits of that is that what you're teaching really just is embedded in real world learning, which I'm going to talk more about in a second. But I think it takes the crazy making element of making kids do things they're not super into totally away from you because you're offering choice and fun and variety in the lessons that you're planning. That's great. All right. So you talked to us a little bit about like starting with kind of like a more Kodai inspired portion mm -hmm. of the lesson and then kind of switching to steam. Um, so how does, if you're just like comparing those two chunks of a lesson, how do they yeah. look different? Good question. So with the first half of my lesson, to be honest, it kind of looks radically different. Like I do what I'm trained to do because for me getting through the, um, through the curriculum works best as a Kodai teacher. And I try my best to integrate that curriculum and those content standards into my STEAM lessons. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of that work for me gets done in my traditional music teaching. And whatever methodology you use, like that's effective. And for me, it's Kodai. So I really lean on that in the first two thirds, like half to two thirds of a lesson. And then I switch in the last half or two or about a third to a STEAM inspired project. And generally I have the students working in small groups, really on anything from like instrument design to coding to electronic composing or mixing. And then I like to set up my projects in a three to five week structure. Mm -hmm. So for example, if we kick off a coding unit, I might explain on day one and kind of walk them through it and talk about it. And then on day two, maybe we break into their groups so then on like maybe week three, we start like really digging in and I kind of give them a structure for this is how much work you should get done today. This is the mm -hmm. parameters I'm expecting. And then on week five, we maybe wrap up. And my school has an um, online grading system called Schoology. Um, that's what we use for them to kind of report back. So part of problem-based learning is that they share out whatever they have created. Mm -hmm. And their method for doing that is on that Basically, it's an electronic portfolio site, but designed like social media. And if your school has a Schoology, utilize it. But if you don't, you can look at a program like Seesaw or even Google Classroom. So yeah, that's kind of how those two sides of my lesson yeah. look different. It's kind of radically different. They'll sit in their little spots and we'll do our normal Kodai thing. Mm -hmm. And then we'll break out and they love that. And they are aware that like your attentiveness and your effort that you show me in the first half of my lesson determines how much time you get from right. your project learning. Yeah, and I, we should say that in our district, uh, first through fifth grade, get music once every five days. We're in a oh, five-day yeah. rotation for 50 minutes. 
So 50 minutes, I think, is a mm-hmm. nice chunk to get oh my gosh, something yes. like this done. So let's say someone had only like 30 minutes or 35 minutes. Yeah. How do you think you would structure that differently? Um, that's a really good question. If I was teaching a 35-minute lesson, I think I would choose a unit that could be broken into smaller chunks of time. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're doing a coding unit you and you're using a Scratch software, the kids need to learn how to log on quickly if they're only going to get... 10 to 15 minutes of work time every class. Right. So maybe I would spend the first lesson just going log on, log off, log on, log off, see how fast you can do this process. Mm-hmm. And then once that's really streamlined, that will serve you the rest of the year yes. because the kids aren't sitting down with their Chromebooks being like, I'm not really sure how to access this program, mm-hmm. how to really get the work started. But when they know and they know how to do it fast, for the rest of the year they can sit down, the log on process can be one minute. And then right. the work time can be the remaining 9, 14 minutes, whatever that is. And you can just leverage that. So number one, streamlining the login process. Number two, making the directions crystal clear so time wasting is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Number three, floating throughout. So I think it's a little bit tempting, like um, definitely like to me as well, to take this time to get a breather and like maybe set up for the next class or whatever. But I think it's really important for your kids' productivity for you to be around checking in and be like, that's good. Make sure you're pushing into this. Right. Like, I love the work you're doing. Could you go this way? Right. Um, yeah. And that just keeps them going instead of being complacent. Um, and then also, I would pick a unit that you know works well in small chunks. Mm-hmm. So for coding, I know they can work down, they can sit down and they can just code one character in 10 minutes. And that's the only goal. So it's mm-hmm. not too lofty. And then the next day I might say, with these 10 minutes, I want you to add this to your project. Right. So little chunks of time mm-hmm. rather than maybe like an instrument design project where they're sitting down constructing like a wooden flute and 10 minutes is only really going to like make a mess and then clean it up. Right, right. Yeah. Five minutes to work and five minutes yeah. to clean up. Right. All right. So that's a great segue into um, examples of a STEAM-inspired music lesson. So you talked about your instrument yeah. design lesson. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So this is something that um, we can share in the show notes Yeah. Um, because I'm totally fine sharing it out. It really has worked well for me. When I was at my first STEM school, so I was not trained as a STEM teacher. I was uh, had no background in technology, so I was given this position, and I was a first-year teacher. I'm, like, desperate to succeed, so I was, like, kind of thinking immediately, how can I, how can I do this? How can I take music learning? Maybe like my standards and one of my standards for the the grade that you're going to see is, um, is world music. So how can I take like world music, music learning, making music and STEM and like squish it together into one lesson. So over the summer, I did this really big, um, kind of design of a project called the instrument design project. And the kind of the idea behind it is that the kids would learn Native American music and be able to perform it. And then they would be acquainted with Native American traditional instruments. The reason I kind of chose that particular strand of instruments is because they're kind of the easiest to make. So I wanted it to be straightforward. Mm -hmm. So the kids became acquainted with those kinds of instruments. We did some research, which is a big part of the STEAM model. Um, And then after the research, they decided as a class what instrument they were all going to make. So the reason I did it is all instead of individual because, I mean, you do want to provide choice. And so 
originally I was like, everyone gets to decide what they want to make. But then I kind of had a minute and I was like, you know what? Like you teach 500 kids a week. You're going to have to come up with 500 sets of materials. And if they all come up with a different instrument, you'll have to have five individual sets of materials. So rather than (laughs) doing that, we decided on, as a class, what kind of instrument they wanted to do. Uh And then we decided instead of having to buy a bunch of stuff and use the school budget, we wanted to figure out things in the school they use every single day. They could recycle to make instruments. So we talked about, like, milk cartons in the cafeteria. We talked about their water bottles. We talked about forks and spoons and different things that are around the school Mm -hmm. that are used and thrown away and how we could reprocess those to make instruments. So I took all of that thinking, the recycled instrument component, the Native American music component, the instrument design component, the problem-based learning component, and pushed it all together into this big unit, um, which we will definitely share out. And then at the very end, they got to present their instrument, play it, and then they got to receive authentic, real-world feedback from their classmates. So a big part of the problem-based learning process is like, this is all trying to translate into the career world, right? Right. So if a computer programmer makes a computer program and yay, they did it, but then it doesn't work, they receive feedback and then they go back and redesign. So that's a skill we're trying to teach our kids is, hey, you made your instrument and rather than being like, good job, buddy, you made your instrument, next unit. We're trying to be authentic in real world and say, play your instrument you know, this doesn't work well, what could we do? And then give them time to go back. Is that time consuming? Yes. And it's so tempting to be like, okay, we're done. Turn the page, new unit. Right. Um, but instead, I've always tried to be very intentional about saying kids need time to redesign. I will give it to them because that's the reason we do all of this. Yeah. So that's some things about the Instrument design. Yeah. And I think that fits really well into the new music standards. Yeah. I say new, but they're a few years old. But, um, you know, the the NAFME or NCCAS music yeah. standards, uh, you know, being able to evaluate what you've yeah. done is yes. a big part of those they standards. Are. So I think that fits really well yeah. into that. And I think sometimes we're a little bit too precious about evaluating kids. Mm-hmm. Kids have bigger shoulders than we think they do. They can handle honest but kind feedback. And I think that yeah. it's good for us as teachers to be comfortable giving it. Even as special areas teachers, like in their classrooms, they're getting a, that's not correct, try again. And it's okay for us to give them the same feedback. And I think it, we've talked a lot um, on our own about growth mindset. I think that fits really mm-hmm. well with growth mindset too. Yes. If we just tell kids that they're always awesome and everything they do yep. is fantastic, that's actually detrimental to them. They it, need it to is. hear honest yeah. feedback. So. Yeah. And if we are telling them because you made this object, it's inherently perfect, that's not something about for success. Like because they made this object, it's inherently a good effort. But then we have right. to cycle back to say, how could we do even better? Right. All right. So you talked about how we're going to put some information in the uh, show notes for people so they can check out this yep. lesson. So I just want to direct people how to get to the show notes. If you go to my blog and then um, click on podcast and then click on this podcast episode, which is uh, Steam in the Music Room, then you will find the show notes. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So we talked a little bit about coding, or you you talked yeah. you touched upon that a little bit. So tell us a little bit more about coding and how that fits into the STEAM model. Absolutely. So coding is a really incredible mix of all the disciplines that we talk about in a STEAM model. So it's scientific, it's technological, it encompasses engineering, 
and mathematical discipline, but it also engages the creative process because it is literally the only way to truly create something brand new electronically. It's the only way. It is so important that we teach this if we're truly working to serve our kids well, because 40% of the jobs they will someday have will revolve around technology that doesn't even exist yet. And we need to give them the tools that they need to be successful in their changing world. So if we teach them only what has served us, we're not actually serving them. And I know most of us, myself included, didn't know anything about how to code or need to know how to code. Like that was a computer programmer's job, but our kids need to know. And so that means that we need to know and be stretched and be comfortable. Um, But luckily there are so many resources out there to make it easy for you, fun for the kids. And I'll just kind of give you like a example of maybe how I would fit this into a normal lesson. Yes. So like, I might have the kids come in and we would sing a game. My kid's favorite game is Kookaburra. Um, <laughs> they, they love that one. Love off. it. Because you made up that game and yeah. the kids love it. Yeah. Go ahead and quickly okay. share that game just because people are going to be like, what sidebar. game is that? Sidebar. Yeah. Yeah. Big sidebar. <laughs> this is like very random because one day I was, I think a second year teacher. This is a, like not a great look for me. But I was a second year <laughs> teacher and I'm teaching Kookaburra and I was in the middle of teaching it and I was like, you know, I have no idea what game goes with this. And I think in retrospect, there wasn't a game. No, I've but, never. Yeah. I've never knew a game. But I was like, yeah. you know, in my Kodai model, like you teach the game mm-hmm. and then you do the notation. So I was like, teach the song. I don't have a game. And then just like divine inspiration, man. I just got this <laughs> idea that came into my mind. And I was like, we're going to play Night at the Museum, essentially. So how the game works is that there's one student kind of in the middle of the room. And then there's um, all the kookaburras. I'm doing air quotes. Um, (laughs) You can't see me. Um, All around the room, like flying around the room. And they sing the kookaburra song. And then at the end, they freeze. Whenever the zookeeper's back is to them, they move their bodies like crazy. But then as soon as the zookeeper turns to look at them, they freeze immediately. The zookeeper sees them moving, they sit down. If I see them not moving when they're supposed to be moving, they sit down. And here's the best part, fellow teachers. <laughs> if they talk while they're in, they're out. And if they talk while they're out, they can't play the next round. Oh, oh. I don't think I knew that rule. The kids did not tell me that they rule. <laughs> it's good. It's uh-huh. so good. Yeah. And so they'll, they beg for that game. And I'm like, uh, yeah, because it's like so student-led and they all behave beautifully because they don't want to not get the next round. Yeah, they really do love it. It's awesome. Okay, so sorry. No, 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 that's good. So maybe we'll play a game. Maybe we'll play Kookaburra. Um, I like to do solo singing next, and then we'll go back to Kookaburra and maybe notate some of the rhythms. And then maybe we'll do an activity, like an assessment activity, like Write the Room, for example. Like I don't know if we've talked about Write the Room on this podcast before, Mm -hmm. but basically it's just a way for students to practice notating rhythmic patterns. Do it all the time for assessment. It's a nice get up and move things, and maybe they do that, mm-hmm. come back, review their notation, and at this point, maybe we've been probably teaching 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, and so unless I have something else to get to that day curriculum-wise, maybe then I would transition into coding in small groups, so I like to put my kids in eight groups of three. That just works for my class size. Um, I think three is the ideal number because it's not big enough to get rowdy, not small enough to get stuck, so we get into our groups of three, 
the directions are usually written on the blackboard. I'm not explicit about my direction giving because as we're giving students choice, we're also trying to develop autonomy in our kids. Um, especially our fifth graders, they're going to middle school and they're not going to have like exact directions written out step by step. Right. So I try to build just intuitiveness into my students by saying like, here's the major points. And if you're stuck, take two minutes to try to problem solve, then come get me. And I will show you how you could have gotten there mm -hmm. instead of showing you the answer. This has worked really well for me because my students eventually start being like a value in this music room is to be self-sufficient and autonomous in my learning and to have ownership over it. And so rather than immediately going, I don't know what to do. They're like, I don't know what to do. Let me look. Nine times out of 10, they're like, oh, I could do that. Oh, that worked. And then they don't ever talk to me about it. Right. But the one time I they need help, of course, I'm right there to help them. Right. But I'm not running around like a crazy person just answering the same question over and over. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about coding, how it works into the normal music yeah. structure. And we should probably rewind a little bit just in case there are listeners out there who don't actually know what coding is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you talk, to, talk sure. to us about what coding is? Okay, so coding is writing language to your computer to tell it what to do. It's very simple. The language is literally like a foreign language, just how we talk about like music is a foreign language. We're teaching them a new language when they're reading it. Same thing with the coding language. There are many, but the two that work best for me for kiddos is Python and JavaScript. Um, those two are pretty straightforward. You're basically typing to your computer. Uh, they're like, this is exactly what I want you to do, but in a structure that that language supports. It's kind of confusing without going to like actually start doing it. Um, but it's a lot of procedural thinking. We're just teaching the kids like, okay, you tell the computer to do one thing. The computer is not a human. It does not have a brain and it is not intuitive. So even if to you it would make sense that the next thing would follow, the computer does not know. So you tell it the next thing. So one of the things we do with kids is encoding is teach them how to like walk a character. So we'll like have a character, like we want the character to walk forward and then turn right and walk forward. So for a kid, they're thinking, well, all I need to tell them to do is walk forward and turn and then they'll continue walking. No, you have to tell the computer the character needs to walk forward four steps, then stop, make a 90 degree right turn walk forward four steps and stop because it's not a human. It doesn't know what it probably should do. Right. It only knows exactly what you tell it to do. And so in all coding, we're teaching step by step procedural thinking. And that actually connects back into our music curriculum because we do the same thing when we're teaching rhythmic reading um, or even like notating in solfege, take it a piece at a time, take it apart and figure out what it looks like. Mm -hmm. So it's just yeah. a good, overall training method the same way we talk about teaching our kids um grit and self-assurance we're also teaching them how to be procedural thinkers through coding yeah and you and i actually worked on a coding yeah we did unit together so if you're listening and you want to know like how to bring this into your music room and how to you know have direct musical transfer <coughs> with coding yeah. um i can link to that unit. <coughs> i can link to that unit in the show notes as well Perfect. Yeah. yeah that's, that would be awesome. That was really fun because we got to explore ways to take that like technology piece yeah. and really embed it genuinely in music education. So yeah, check it out. Yeah. I like it. All right. So along those lines, um, you know, let's say someone is listening and loving what they're hearing. 
um, and wants to get started, besides like the coding unit that, mm-hmm. that we talked about, what would you suggest for them getting started? Um, let's see. I think for me, other than coding, because I think that's a really great entry point, instrument design is also a really intuitive entrance point because you probably do something similar. You probably talk about instruments, probably right. have an orchestral instrument like lesson that you already do. Another really cool entry point for me that I'm working on is um, a silent film project. Um, so I'm actually going to just like Google it right now because it just like popped in my mind, but I'll be able to share with you like exactly where I found this project so that you can look at it too. Um, it's through Midnight Music, which bless her. She is a great resource. Like go check her out. So good. Her podcast is good. Her blog is good. It's all about music tech and all levels of music education. Um, so this one is a Halloween silent film scoring activity for upper elementary students. I'm using it in two weeks. Really would be a great jumping in point. So all you need is a smart board, whatever sound makers, instruments, whatever you already have in your classroom. Um, and sorry, when I say smart board, I also mean projector or whatever you use. Yeah. Um, and then also like maybe eight Chromebooks, iPads, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's very simple. You're gonna show this film I believe the film is called Haunted House, and it's a short film from Disney where Mickey like finds this haunted house, and then there's these skeletons inside. And I vetted this with my principal, so your administrator will probably be fine with it because I was like, "Oh, skeleton!" <laughs> right? But no, it's fine. Um, but anyway, there's like skeletons in there, and then they all start putting on this like orchestra. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna watch the film. We're going to talk about the role that music played in developing the storyline of the film because all along, like, the skeletons are, like, making music and the music accompanies the action. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's funny. Then I'm going to ask them, how could we make similar sounds? This is, again, we're getting into procedural thinking and design. Then we're going to jump into the design element of any problem-based learning activity, and I'm going to pass out storyboards. They're going to get in small groups. Each group will be responsible for like maybe four scenes. So like if you're and actually these storyboards are on the post that we can include in the show notes that so I she's got, got inspired from. In the yeah, blog post. it's okay. all in the blog post. Awesome. Um, and the storyboards are in here. So maybe I'll give like one to one group, and they're gonna sit there and brainstorm ways that like, okay, in this scene, um, the wind is blowing outside and Mickey is scared. So what could I do to make music that accompanies that with classroom instruments or my body? So they're going to write it down. Then we're going to come back together. I am going to play a second version of um, the film with the sound scrubbed out. Or as I'm talking, I'm realizing you could just mute it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And the kids are going to do a live performance of film scoring. Oh, wow. So they're going to read their storyboard and each group will basically present in front of the group and then we'll evaluate as class and be like, was there anything that seemed off? Do we need to like go back in and say like our sound for the wind blowing didn't seem like wind? What could we do differently? And then we do it. And then I will likely video this and put it on our electronic portfolios as an advocacy tool for our program to be like, look what we're doing in here. Like it's cool. The kids are loving it. 
Yeah. So that would be a really cool jumping off point, and I know the kids are going to be like so into it. I am totally doing that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> I love it. I have this one third grade class that I see twice every rotation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, you know, instead of going to the traveler for for the second time, they come to me, and so I've been doing some extension yeah. type stuff with them. And I had started um, a project. I'm getting into PBL because I took a PBL course. And the uh, one I'm doing with the fourth grade class that I have twice, I love. Yeah. The one that I started with my third grade class, eh. I yeah. was like just so-so on. So I'm like, I need something else. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. You're going to love it. That's so fun. And just a little bit about um, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't have Chromebooks in my room or I don't have iPads or whatever. Um I think a lot of classroom teachers, I know in our district, and maybe it's different in other districts, but in in our district, a lot of the classroom teachers will have Chromebook carts. Yeah. When they're in music class, they're not using those Chromebooks, Mm -hmm. right? Typically, unless they're sharing it with another grade level or something. So um, you might, if you don't have technology in your own room, you might reach out to that classroom teacher and say, while your students are in music, could I use six Chromebooks? And again, talking about advocacy, I walked up to the office my like second day in my new building and I was like hey like these are my dreams for the program I would like to teach coding I would like to teach film scoring I would like to teach all these different music technology things like I want to talk about mixing and composing and like electronic media and I want to do all these things but constantly being on the hunt for Chromebooks is going to limit me and so I asked my principal I was like is there any chance we could dig up 10 Chromebooks in this school or iPads in the school that could live in my room Mm-hmm. And he wasn't able to give me 10, but he gave me eight. And so That's now great. there's eight Chromebooks living in there. Yeah. And it's just one thing I don't have to worry about is hunting down Chromebooks. So advocate for yourself. You might find that if you tell people, like, this is my program, it deserves to have resources, you might yes. just get them. And I actually wrote a grant. Um, our district oh, yeah, has a really wonderful um, kind of like grant foundation that gives out grants every year. And so mm-hmm. I wrote a grant for actually for some spectrums, which um, – We'll be talking about on the podcast in a couple months, yeah. Um, but also for six touchscreen Chromebooks, and I got them, which is super so exciting. exciting. I haven't, they haven't, I know they haven't arrived in my classroom yet. I've been waiting patiently <laughs> or impatiently, it. but yeah. Um, but I also have eight iPad minis. But so I found yeah. that there are some things with iPad that don't translate, you know, because yes. you have to have Flash, yeah, or if I'm having them work in um, Google Sheets yes. or Google Slides. That it's sometimes it's it not as intuitive. To, yeah, it goes to present mode. Yeah, automatically, yeah. so there's something they can't manipulate it. Yeah, so, so Chromebooks are also nice to have. All right, so are there any other um, favorite STEAM resources or coding resources? Yes, and we can put these in the show notes too. But so you don't have to crack out your like pencil and notebook and write right, these right. down. Um, but these are all so good. I love each of these. Um, first, I know I've mentioned it before. I'm going to mention it again. I'm like an evangelist for this site. Scratch coding, so good, so smart. It works so well for the kids. It's all block oriented, it's easy. Um, and bless his heart, they have a music program through Scratch. So if you put in the URL hourofcode.com slash scratch MUS, you will go right to the Scratch music site. Mm-hmm. And along the right side of the screen are step by step instructions to start with nothing and code a band and anyone from second grade to fifth grade can totally handle it. Thank you promise. And that's actually how I got started with coding. I Mm -hmm. came and observed a lesson 
um, where Emily, she, you know, was in the room next to mine and I had planning and I knew she was coding. So I went and watched her, um, do the coding lesson, which was really awesome to see. But then I just sat on the yeah. scratch music website and I just experimented with it. And that's so how I cool. kind of, and it's funny because this is totally going to date me, but when I was, um, I don't know, like 10 or 11, um, this is back before everybody had a home computer, but, um, we did, well, we had a home computer, but it was like Texas Instruments. Um, it had these little cassette tapes that you would put yeah. into it. <laughs> but anyway, we would sit there, we would sit there, my sister and I, for hours, and we would actually be coding. Like we would write, yeah. run 10 and then some kind of command, run 20 and then yeah, some that's kind of command. Coding. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end, we would make this little stick figure dance and we would yes. get so excited. And that was coding. And we didn't, yep. not until I started playing with that scratch yep. website I was like oh my gosh I have coded before I mm -hmm. just didn't know that's what it was and called. the kids have the same reaction of being like I just did this yeah I just made this there's happen. like so much ownership like yep. I was able to do that that's yes. so cool and it does build yeah. that growth mindset of them being like oh like I can learn to do anything like yeah even and if it doesn't come easily to me it's even better if it's not easy because I had to fight for this understanding right and now I've accomplished this it's really cool and there's also student choice like yes. with the coding blocks you can choose, like, do I want the space bar or the delete key, mm -hmm. or which key do I want to be the one that runs the command? And then yeah. when the command is run, do I want the character to walk to the right or to the left? And then in the Scratch Music website, it can be like, yeah. do I want it to play the saxophone or the keyboard or the, you know, there's all this So much choice. choice. Yeah. Yep. And Very so when cool. they're done, when they show it to you, it's not only that they're showing you, look, like, my teacher, I have followed your instructions. They're also showing you a piece of creative work. Yeah. And they're saying, like, look at what I made. Like, look at what my creativity has done. Yes. And then you can reward that and you can really, like, shower on the praise for being creative and being a problem solver rather than saying, like, good for you. You're smart. Next thing. It's right. Like, yeah. You're a problem solver. You can make things happen. Yeah. You're creative. It's really yeah. cool. Very cool. Um, Big one. Code Combat. I love this website. Um, When you go, it looks just like... Minecraft or like even uh -huh. like kind of like Fortnite, which uh -huh. I know we're all like, no, no more flaws. <laughs> it's real. They love it. Um, and this website kind of reminds me of it. The kids love this so much. There's like a character. You get to pick your character. You get to pick their outfit. They go down to this like dungeon and they like fight things by correctly running routes that you code. It is so fun. And it's so, really such fun. a cool website. Like it doesn't look like a lame teacher website. It looks like a video game. And yeah. the kids are like, yeah. But the whole time you're sitting there watching them, like, love this and eat it up. And, like, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is teaching. Like, this is them learning. But they're loving it. Yeah. It's awesome. That's great. Um, Blocky Games has a coding platform where you're um, literally coding notes onto a staff. So if you want a direct... Like, I want to stay focused on music curriculum. I don't want to derail at all. Blocky Games is a great one because you're just coding notation. Oh, okay. Um, Code Avengers is another, like, video game style um, coding website. And, oh, for your younger kiddos, there are two toys that are a great thing to put on, like, a teacher wish list. One of them is called a Codapillar. Um, basically, it's this long caterpillar, and each of its different, like, sections of its body, you follow me, are like directions. So the kid will look at the, the caterpillar and push the up arrow twice, the right arrow once, and then the up arrow one more time. So then the then when they push go to run the quote-unquote program, mm -hmm. the caterpillar will move up two, will turn right, 
and move forward one. So forward, forward, right turn one. Mm -hmm. And that's teaching coding. What they're working with this little toy. It is an awesome centers stop. If you're doing centers with first or second graders, this is a great place to like kind of have them work with that and yeah. give them instructions. So normally I will just like type out on a Word document real quick, make your caterpillar move up five spaces, turn right, move up five spaces, turn left, and then move back to the starting point. So it's mm -hmm. like, here's some instructions. Now that you know what you're doing, now figure it out and make it go back. Kids are so smart at this developmental stage, so much smarter than we know they are. Mm -hmm. So I love like kind of pitching them like a softball and being like, handle this. And they love it. Yeah. They really run with it. Um, and then really similarly, the Code and Go mouse has a mat. So it's even simpler as a teacher to give instructions. It's like a, probably a mat with like, maybe like a four by four grid of squares. Um, and you put the mouse on one of the um, squares and then you code the top of it same way we're pushing arrows and then saying go. And then you can have the mouse move forward on the grid. So what you could do is, um, I've done this with rhythmic coding before. So on the grid, I've pointed out like TTs and TAs and I've said code your mouse so that it stops on ta, ta, ti, ti, ta. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Really cool. Yeah. And that's um, like a direct correlation to the music curriculum. Yes. That's really and I neat. can look too because I think I have a template for printing the grid to lay over the grid yeah. that comes with the um, code and go mouse. When you look at the code and go mouse and you see the grid, I think what I'm saying will kind of like make more sense when okay. you're envisioning it. Uh -huh. but, um, but yeah, I have like a template where you can type into the template your ties or your solfege or whatever it is you're working with your kids and uh -huh. then they can make the mouse run the pattern. That's so That's cool. Really cool. I'm going to add another one in there. A yeah. coding toy that I have is this Sphero Mini. It's this tiny little ball that you can code with an app like on your phone or on an iPad. Mm -hmm. And I haven't used it with kids yet. I'm excited about that Centers idea because I never thought about using yeah, it's that way one. everybody can be yeah. using it. But I actually, it's an idea for a project I, I had, but I haven't been able to do yet, is I do these like ABA compositions in GarageBand with my fifth graders. Yes, but then so cool. I on my own, actually my whole family helped me out. My husband was helping me out. My oldest daughter was helping me out. We figured out how to code this mini Sphero so that it like coordinated up with the ABA yeah. composition. Oh my goodness. So it was like syncing up. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. So I want to do it with fifth grade. Yeah. I just, I thought I was going to have time last year and I just ran out of time. So that's like yeah. my goal for this year yeah. is to make that happen. But centers would be really a great cool. way to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. it is. Cause then every kid gets to put their hands on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Because if you don't have five mini yeah, exactly. minis. Yeah. So let's talk about what we're consuming. Yes. yes. Okay, let's go. All right. So I was excited to ask you this because you're always reading and listening to something. So tell us. It's okay if it's more than one thing. Tell okay. us what you're... I do have a short list. Okay. Here we go. So I am very input-oriented. I like to have like to be listening to things, reading things, taking things in all the time. Um, and I think on my blog, that's mostly what I talk about is like, here's what I love and what I want you guys to see. Um, so I'm going to recommend a podcast, a playlist, and a book. Really quick. Podcast. Angela Watson's Truth for Teachers mm -hmm. is really inspiring me. Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool to listen to a general education podcast yeah. and kind of like take her tips and put them in my life. 
I like, we don't always align on everything, but she's very challenging for me. Like she'll say something. I'm like, do I agree with that? Like, how do I feel about that with my philosophy of teaching? Mm -hmm. I, and it's very short too. Like, I feel like I can consume things better when they're in 20, yeah, 45 minute chunks and not like long things. Yes. Hers are very compact episodes, which I love. Yeah. Um, and I was just telling you before we started recording that she, Angela Watson is the one who inspired me to start yes, my podcast. Yes. Because I really love that podcast She's too. so cool. Yeah. Um, if you're not listening to David Rao's Make Moments Matter. Yeah, Make yeah, Moments Matter. Yeah. You have to be like yes, right now. Of course. Yeah. He is so cool. I love listening to him. Yeah. Pretty much my whole like first grade curriculum this year has been things he's like said on that podcast and then I've been like, oh, well, let me like go do that then. <laughs> um, and and he's such a great person too. That's what I hear. Yeah. We have to meet David Rao. <laughs> um, okay. So then pod or no playlist. I'm a big, like, Spotify fiend. I love Spotify. And somebody, some sweet, blessed person, created a playlist on Spotify called Autumn in New York. And it is just the vibiest podcast. Like, ah, playlist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it sounds like you are in, like, a rom-com walking through, like, New York City in so the, like, 50s. In oh, the middle cool. of October. I'll check it's it out. It's just the best pod playlist. I cannot stop saying that. <laughs> uh, playlist. And so, like, I love baking. And so, one of the things I do all the time, like, when I'm, like, needing my moment of zen, uh -huh. is, like, baking in my kitchen and listening to music like that. It's, like, the old worldy jazz and, like, yeah. very – it's just you got to listen to it. It'll put you in a good mood. And then, lastly, I've got a book rec for you, and it is not a teaching book because – not our lives are not all about teaching, right? Yeah. Um, and this book is called On a Cold, Dark Sea, brand new by Elizabeth Blackwell. And it is, if you loved the movie Titanic, which like who doesn't love the movie Titanic? Uh, but if you loved it, you got to read this book because it's like the story of three women who were rescued from the Titanic and like, oh, oh so good. But it's totally fiction, but still so good. Yeah. Um, and it's like their stories of kind of like how they survived and who was in their lives. And yeah. it's just so good. It's the perfect like curl up on the couch with like a cup of coffee and read a book in fall time. Yeah. It's perfect for that. That's so awesome. That's what I'm consuming. What about okay. you? Um, I have been kind of obsessed with this podcast lately called Science Versus. Have you heard of that? No. It is so good. So it's kind of like, I was just telling my husband, it's kind of like, um, Mythbusters, a little bit like Mythbusters, mm -hmm. but in a podcast. So they take these topics, like I've listened to one about gun control. I've listened oh, to one. Love I it. started listening to one about global warming, but they're not all like political. Like I listened to one about ghosts. Um, I listened to one about true love. Yeah. So they're all just like topics wow. that they explore through science. I love that. So it's like, what does the science say about true love? Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> Or is there just one person for you? Are we made to be monogamous? Or there's one about ghosts. Like, what does the science say? That is ghosts? right up my alley. I yeah, love that. That's so interesting. Okay, definitely going to check that out. Yeah. And then I'm going to throw one more out. Okay. Um, because you reminded me. One more podcast. I'm really struggling with the word podcast versus playlist today. <laughs> it's, it's but good. this is really a podcast. Okay. And it's called Pantsuit Politics. And it is a conservative woman and a liberal woman and like a Republican and a Democrat and they talk about current issues oh. but they have this value on their podcast that life is about nuance and about gray area and being able to respectfully disagree yeah 
oh my gosh, I love it. And I just want to be like, hey world, yes. we can do this together. Right. So I like listen to that podcast and I feel like I'm learning and getting different perspectives, yes. but also not feeling angry ever. So that's yeah. a great one if you're like, I want to know about this world politically, but I don't want to be bummed out. That's yes. a great one to check out. What is it called again? Pantsuit Politics. I'm totally going to check it that out. It is definitely like politics for women. It's so good. Okay, awesome. This was so much fun. It really was. Thank you so much, Emily. So tell us how or tell us how people can find you and learn more about you. Okay, so my Instagram handle is at Emily Karst. So Emily like a normal Emily and then Karst K-A-R-S-T. Um it's like a little bit of teaching stuff, but mostly my life stuff. And I would just like love to know you if you're listening. I'd love to meet you and hear your ideas and things. So come follow me. Um my website is emilycarst.com. It's more like just like lifestyle kind of things. Um, but I would also love for you to check that out. And then my Teachers Pay Teachers store is called Apples and Pearls. And that's kind of where I'm posting any of the resources that I create. And I am not as rock star as Aileen is <laughs> by any means. But like just occasionally when I make something like the Instagram design or the Instagram. <laughs> mm, instrument, instrument, similar, but very is, different. Yeah. <laughs> instrument design unit. It goes on that teachers who teachers store. Awesome! Thank, Thank you, you so for much. having me. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope that you got just as much good information from the podcast as I did. Make sure, if you haven't yet, to go to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, to my podcast and also to leave a review so that other music educators can find the podcast. Thanks so much for doing that. Thanks to Emily for such a fun and uh, interesting interview about STEM and STEAM and have a great day.